Okay, hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm sitting in the studio with three people and uh, we're going to be discussing the July-August issue of Art Monthly, number 368, and that's 2013, I think I didn't say the year. Um, in the room with me are Patricia Bickers, who's the editor of Art Monthly, the assistant editor of Art Monthly, Chris McCormack, and also Daniela Rose King, who's a writer and curator. Hello, Daniela. It's your first time in the studio with us, I think, isn't it? It is. Thanks Great. for having me. And it's probably Chris's. No, Chris started that was in the show years ago. So, yeah, no. Um, now, what we're doing today is, uh, as usual, a slightly complicated programme because we like to try and pack it all in for you. Basically, the show <coughs> is going to be discussing a feature about the Venice Biennale 2013, written by Patricia Bickers, a review by Daniela Rose King on the Alternative Guide to the Universe exhibition at the Hayward Gallery. and But it also, in the magazine, the editorial covers Venice and the Hayward show and probably some other issues around curating. Um, we also have a review in the issue by Chris Clark on the 55th Venice Biennale as well. But um, He wrote about the Encyclopedic Palace, which is a particular exhibition within the Venice Biennale. Now, um, I'm going to start by bringing Patricia in, um, because basically, um, partly because in the editorial and in, your, and in the feature, we talk about a word which seems to be quite prominent in terms of an approach to curating. We want to talk about the approach to curating in the show, but we're going to use these exhibitions as a way of doing that. And the word is Wunderkammer, I think I've pronounced that correctly, Patricia. Now, the reason I'm saying that word is because it's basically the approach taken by the curator of the show in Venice, um, the uh, Encyclopedic Palace. Patricia, what is a Wunderkammer? A uh, Wunderkammer is known in English as a cabinet of curiosities, and they generally began um, with people collecting odds and ends, um, expensive, exotic um, difficult to get hold of objects and displaying them as, um, as an example of their wealth and of course leisure to collect these things. When, when are we talking about? When do they do this? They began in earnest in the 16th century, late 16th century okay. and spread particularly through Protestant countries. It's a kind of expression of a new materialism particularly in the Netherlands but also came to England where the term Cabinet of Curiosities... Because I think in the editorial it mentions, um, tell me if I'm wrong, Diderot and Jean-Baptiste. Are they, are they connected with this, or have no, I got that wrong? they're absolutely the alternative. Thank you very much. Sorry, OK, well, maybe I shouldn't have brought them in now. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, because one of the things about the Cabinet of Curiosities is was it was uh, irrational in terms of the encyclopedists, Diderot, etc. Uh, it was anti-rational, not just irrational but anti-rational and here I think... Well, in terms of what you chose, do There you was mean? no rhyme or reason to it. It was all about exotica and value and uh, difficulty of obtaining these objects like a narwhal's tusk or something mm. and an ostrich egg. Um, but uh, the encyclopedists wanted, um, represented the urge to rationalise, to categorise, to try and impose some meaning on this phenomenon these phenomena, and of course that was in some senses also an attack on um, religion. And so there's a uh, distinct op opposition here between what the 
age of reason, so called, the Enlightenment age. And the yes, age so you're talking pre Enlightenment. Yes. And, and then, obviously, we're now in Enlightenment. Well, well, are we? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my that was one of my questions. Actually, was you know, are we in? Are we being asked to go back to a pre-enlightenment? Well, actually, obviously not time, but approach. So well, here we go. We got we got Venice. We've got this um, specific show, which every year, every sorry, every Venice Biennale. Not this is the fifty-fifth. There is a show which is a big group show created by somebody, isn't it? Chris, who, who did it this year? Massimo Massimiliano Gionni. Oh, okay, and and in, and in that show, he. He's chosen this approach of the Wunderkammer to select the work. Yes, but he's not alone. Well, the point I was trying to make is that this is becoming a, a recognised phenomenon. Another one's opened in San Francisco, and Chris, you were saying earlier today... Yes. Where was the one that she made? Oh, there's one in Turner Contemporary. Yes, Turner yes. Contemporary. Oh, as well. And, and, and then, and then do, am I right in saying that then, therefore, Daniela's review of the Haywood is another one? Yes. Mm. Okay. It, there's also in a permanent sense. kind of Vindicama space which in is a museum. Contemporary. Yes, and there's a museum of everything, of course, which of course. Yeah. could. Daniela, what was the one you just mentioned again? Sorry. It's um, a, a space in uh, Nottingham Contemporary, a permanent oh, no, space, okay. which is full of cabinets, which would have been used uh, in like kind of cabinets of curiosity. Okay. And, and there, we, we will bring up, him up again. But Jeremy Della and this whole thing of folk art, and it's been going around for quite a while now as well. Do we think that's connected? Um, well, that's a, a topic. Maybe we could we will discuss, discuss that a bit. Okay, yes. fine. But there, right. there is also the Tate, the Tate Britain show coming up, which is yes. folk art. Yes. I believe it's probably opening in the end of this year. I'm not quite sure what the yes. exact date of that show. Anyway, should we go back to Venice and discuss the the, the, the main show, um, the Encyclopedic Palace? Why, what, Patricia? Why is it called that? Well, it's called that, uh, it's named after a work by um, a, it, bo a bona fide outside Is it Marino, Marino Auriti? Is yes, that Marino Auriti, Auriti. Who, whose encyclopedic palace uh, from which the exhibition takes its name was, was he constructed it in around 1955. Um, and he was, well, it depends um, whether you want to use clinical terms or, or, or um, non-specialist terms for the non-specialist mm -hmm. and obsessive, I think. I think we'd all agree. And he had this idea that you could build the structure that would contain all human knowledge. And it was, uh, was that? How, how big was the one he made? Seven meters tall or something, so, Yes, right? yeah. uh, it would cover several blocks in New York and it would be um, right. 172 floors or something. And of course it, it could not be built. But the, the idea, it's the project, the idea. And Auriti uh, is an Italian-American, which, of course, I suppose was one of the reasons he became the lodestone for this show, one of the first Italian curators of the international show, the Venice Biennale. Oh, the, the, the guy who's done it this, this yeah. time? Yes, okay. Right. And uh, he's setting this up. It's, it's like he's thrown up his hands as a curator and says, the impossibility of reflecting contemporary art in this... Um, multicultural um, global art field he's sort of thrown up his hands and said and, and look to an alternative world of art which you could argue is an abdication of his responsibilities or <laughs> role as a curator and he's but but he's done more than that he's not just included all kinds of art that's normally excluded so-called outsider art or alternative art but he's also included recognised artists, well-known artists, sometimes showing work less well-known, like the sketchbooks of Carl Andre, which are not so well-known. So there's a sense of 
leveling or saying it's all the same yeah i didn't i don't think i realized that the, the, the amount of mixing of, of the yeah. what we might call the professional artist yes with what you might call and this is where it gets more complicated i think yes. but i'm quite interested in this this definition business of mm. amateur mm. chris what are the other words i mean is it outsider well commonly outsider is the term that's used to describe yeah. these kind of artists yes and, and when you're going around that that show you mean you're you're literally bumping in from one so you might see somebody completely outsider well, the then suddenly see Carl Andre's sketchbooks next door. Is that is that right? Well, the one that uh, yes. really um, uh, sorry to interrupt, but the one the one that if you're talking about a juxtaposition, the one I particularly reacted <laughs> to was Carl Andre's sketchbooks and um, the mannequins of Morton Bartlett, this ex um, um, orphan adopted by wealthy parents who dropped out of Harvard and presumably had a private income and spent his life making these um, fantasy dolls, adolescent girls for the most part, uh, with erect nipples and um, hairless um, um, genitals, and um, photographing them. And the, I was outraged to find what to me is pornography, um, equated with Carl Andre. The link presumably being that figuration which appears in Carl Andre's sketchbooks is repressed in his work yeah. and this somehow links with the repressed <coughs> sexuality of Morton Bartlett mm. and I was just absolutely livid Which, was that actually was there any written yes. written statement actually making that yes. assumption the as words, well the words repression repressed mm. was used yeah. in the wall text really? and and Morton Bartlett there was some ridiculous statement <laughs> about him <laughs> Remember, Chris, yes. creating a sort of uh, rep replacement family for replacement himself. Replacement family <laughs> for himself. I mean, yeah. please. And they also talk about him, kind of, or well, he, he, his statements about his work that it's he's, um, you know, he's living out his own fantasies. And it's better that he does it with inanimate objects than that's a suggestion yes. that he's, you know, mm -hmm. that he's an unsavoury character, and at least he's doing it on his own in the <laughs> privacy of his own home, so we can all kind of look at it fifty years later. Yes, but uh, but the, the other thing is the quality of looking. You know, it's it's sort of like this uh, equation between completely different kinds of work, and to my mind, art and non-art, which is another debate, mm. um, is also our quality of attention. You know that that you what is is if it's the same and given the scale of the show and the amount of time you can give things there's this sense that you you know you turn literally from the sketchbook and almost poking you in the back is a, <laughs> is a mannequin in a on a plinth um, of a girl with erect nipples aged about 12 i mean it's just well, it's also you said there was a huge amount of work, so not only was yeah, there this yeah. kind of experience, there was also this ongoing onslaught, which yes. seemed to le also level it all out as well yes. by just Sheer quantity. Scale. Yes, uh, it's the biggest ever of all the international shows so far curated. It is the biggest. Ever. I mean, I mean, I really do f think we should talk a bit about this thing of non-art art because. Uh, what's their explanation? I, I, I know we've talked about what a Wunderkammer is, but why are they, do we think, going for this Wunderkammer approach? Well, and um, this outsider art approach now? I, I, it seems to me to come out of the blue. This, this is, uh, there's two different questions. One is, is, what are they doing? They say they are deliberately blurring the lines uh, between professional artists and amateurs, outsiders and insiders. Um, 
But why it's happening now is another question mm-hmm. altogether. So maybe we should address first of all why they're doing this, and yeah. then we should talk yeah, about yeah. why now. So I I don't know. What do you think, Daniela? I don't know. I mean, it does seem like it's kind of looking for new ideas and looking for alternative kind of takes or perspectives. Well, because, because they've run out of, well, of ways of know, doing that's, it, that's or sort of a suggestion, but um, that's kind of a simplistic reading, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that's been going on for a couple of years. Like the Museum of Everything was super um, popular when it first started about four years ago. Like probably one of the most, you know, um, like well-seen shows or whatever in London, and it's travelled around the world. Um, and similarly at Hayward, like it has a history of showing work from by outsider artists or artists that were kind of institutionalised or and by an institution. I don't mean an art institution. Um, and but. But yeah, I mean, also I was talking with a friend recently about Documenta 13 and there was a sense mm. that, you know, the brain at the heart of in the Friedrichianum Museum was kind of an assemblage of, of archaeological objects and, I mean, objects that were very closely linked to artists in the show. Mor- or, Mor- Morandi's vases. Yeah. The actual vases he painted from, I remember seeing exactly, those. Exactly, like one of the oldest objects known to humankind or something, thousands of years old, this princess and... Um, but you see a link there between there and, and but this, yeah, perhaps. I just I think I don't know, like tying it into things that have come before objects um, uh, with their own kind of philosophies and I don't know spiritual kind of capacity, like you know importance for cultures and yeah, the sense of like anthropologies coming back, but in a different way. I guess it's and I mean um, you quote um, Gioni as saying um, sorry in your editorial in your feature about Venice um, that he he describes as an uh, anthropological anthropological approach to the study of images focusing in particular on the realms of the imaginary functions of the imagination and for me it feels like it's a kind of a way of, of, of taking back anthropolo- anthropolo- anthropological studies because it has like you know a really mired history of, of looking at other people this is I'm glad you touched on that because that's one of the things that really annoyed me about the Hayward show mm. in that why is it all right for so-called outsider artists to mash cultures why is it when it's completely off limits in so-called mainstream art mm. to take I mean who is Joni to claim an anthropological approach? He's not an anthropologist. Yeah. He has no right. And what you get is, is actually using people as exhibits and people's cultures, which you don't understand. I mean, there's an appalling wall text at Hayward that says... Um, I don't know these artists very well, so I hope I've got the name right. Um, That's in the alternative guide to U- yes, the Universe show. Um, Clive... Uh, no, Alfred... Jansen? Yes, that he lived in Guatemala, where he experienced Mayan culture. Why? How did he do that? It's been dead for thousands of years. There is no Mayan culture. Yeah. I mean, what is this quasi-anthropology? If artists, mainstream artists did this, they would be pilloried. Mm. But are we not allowed to pillory these because they're outsiders or because their work is being um, manipulated? by curators mm. and here I think we have when we ask why this is happening possibly as you say that there's a lack of ideas but also it's the arrogance I think of curators are becoming the, I, I, I've talked before about uber curators and it's, it's as if their magic overview 
will guide us through the universe, and they will even <laughs> absorb other people's views of universes. I mean, it, it's an appalling mm. kind of cultural imperialism. Um, that's one way of looking at it. Another, which elides with what you were saying earlier about the why and who's doing it, why mm. are they doing it, and why now, where I feel this is a very troubling agenda is that it seems to be part of what um, Dave Beach would be better qualified to talk about than me, what he would call de-skilling. And the artist is being de-skilled. The subtext being, and this is where I take issue with Jeremy Della, or at least the critical reaction to Jeremy Della, that everyone can be an artist, mm. not in the Boycean political sense, but in that what's creativity? Outside artists here are not creative. They are so tedious. The work is so repetitive, the images are stock images, um, it's so, like, the boredom, uh, I mean, I had to push myself to see this show and get to the bitter end. Is this the Hayward show? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> let's get, Daniela, you reviewed it. Yeah. <laughs> let's just get you to talk a little bit more about it, perhaps. This idea of um, the, the universe, you, you kind of came up with two different approaches you felt within the show didn't you mm. um, I mean one one in particular uh, was the literal imaginings of the universe and the other was the sociological psychological and psychic kind well, of yeah. approach so there's like a kind of macro micro yeah. I, or I micro macro it was quite um, clear as soon as I stepped into the exhibition really it was like it, it was I was expecting it to be a show about about kind of sci-fi almost about you know alternative um, perspective on the universe on on science. Well, given on, the title, that would be quite yeah, reasonable. Exactly, but maybe I took it too literally. But but what I found was that a lot of the work did fall into that category. Like it was kind of alternative or other physicists, as um, one gent named himself, um, and kind of working with established science, but finding their their own kind of ways of understanding it or explaining it or um, or just just countering it completely and just you know discredit just trying to discredit it. But then it also there was a lot of work that. Um, probably more work that fit into this category of um, of like a kind of a personal um, universe so you know like, like a, an, it might, maybe even an inner universe oh yeah completely yeah, like right. you know just one person that's like for example Lee Godey who documents herself in a photo booth in Chicago um, over a period of I think 10 years um, yeah she was a homeless person who lived she was on a the street person she? she would she would use like tea leaves as makeup and would kind of stain her skin put lipstick on and then she would um, I guess you know she'd take these photos and then she'd decorate them herself with 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 pen or with thread, um, and they all had specific names. And it was, but yeah, but you're kind of talking about a personal, uh, like a personal cosmology or a kind of a, a very personal narrative, which I think is really strange then to put that next to someone that's you know trying to recalibrate how atoms function or whatever. It does sound a little bit like the kind of weird. Juxtaposition of, of, of Andre and 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 the outsider yeah. art there too. I mean, and you talk about it being patronising and celebratory at, uh, at, uh, at, yeah. at the same time, which is a dichotomy. Mm, don't, definitely. Don't you? I mean, it's it's celebratory in that it's you know it's showing these works, and someone's obviously gone to you know lots of collections and done a lot of research to find works that aren't that are made outside of the institution that is outside of work which is not really necessarily that outsider anymore. If you look at the fact that Morton Bartlett's in this show, who was also in the Venice mm -hmm. um, Encyclopedic Palace, and he's been in lots of the Museum of Everything's. I've seen his work loads. It's like... So we, really we could almost say that these guys are becoming 
not outsiders anymore yeah. because but they, but of still, this. They're still definitely on the periphery because they're presented as such. Yeah. Each time, over and over yeah. again, Chris. There's a number. Of, I mean, you can see when you go to the shop outside. You know, the number of catalogues devoted to these mm. artists, which, which, which couldn't ex- they couldn't yeah. exist otherwise, so could they? They're an unknown. And the magazine Raw Vision. Yeah. So Which has been around for a long yes, time, yeah. Very much so. I mean, Morton Bartlett had a retrospective of his show in Stuttgart two years ago, mm. you know, so it's not an unknown work. So, um, is, so is the definition of an outsider, th- then in this situation, possibly they just didn't go to art school? Because actually, I was quite interested in this idea that we've been discussing education on this programme on and off for quite a long time. And there are now lots of alternative art schools beginning to come up, we think. And we came up a bit with the conversation when Patricia was in with Dave Beach a couple of programmes ago. And it's like, are they outsider art schools? Are they going to be, like, allowed to sort of somehow or other ignore all art history and not teach it and just everyone will come in and do this sort of art? Is this, are we going to suddenly find us, is also going to be taught? Well, I don't think (laughs) so. If you see what I mean. (laughs) Because uh, many of these artists, well I don't call them artists myself. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, many of them actually inhabit or for a while inhabited mental institutions and some of them never left. Um, it's very interesting how in Venice there was no Richard Dad yeah. and he- no Henry Darger. Darger. I was going to think of Darger, yeah. other curators have curated them. <laughs> These are my crazy, my crazies, <laughs> you know. It felt like a freak show. It felt like, you know, yeah. oh, but look at this one. Um, because um, Darger has been shown extensively and Richard Dad has had a one-person show at the Tate Gallery. Mm. Well, you know, you don't have to be incarcerated in Bedlam, murder your father, you know. Uh, they can't teach that at art school. <laughs> I wasn't thinking quite, it was more about find, <laughs> finding your inner universe would be taught <laughs> in this sort of, in this manner, I mean, yeah. or something, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a funny kind of category as well, though, because... As, as people move from outsider to in, like when does it when exactly. do they stop being called an outsider? And like you mentioned, um, oh, absolutely, uh, an artist in I think the Azerbaijan uh, pavilion who was a, trained as a, a doctor. Yes, and it's so and I, I do think there's a fascination in the art world with like people that have these other careers or like yeah. these other lives before they come to arts and like they can I don't know like there's so much more that they can say about something. Okay, I'm going to bring up Jeremy Dello in that case because mm. he as I think is quoted in the, in our monthly is. When introduced at Venice, he's always introduced as being someone who didn't go to art school. So the implication being that, that he's an outsider because he didn't go to art school. But in, ra- in reality, I mean, Jeremy Dello um, went to Dulwich College, Cultural Institute of Art, and got an MA in Art History at the University of Sussex under David Allen. I mean, he's not an art outsider. No, but possibly not an artist. Yes, well, that, well that's absolutely <laughs> right, but he doesn't... But it, how can he be an outsider? You could, the outsider yeah. has to go for slightly broader than just, you know, being applied to people who paint or well, something, doesn't it? Well, to be fair, he's, he's not guilty of claiming to be an no, outsider, no. but he is very often hailed as an mm. outsider. And that's because I think there's this very conservative trend. I mean, what, one is this de-skilling, one is everyone can be an artist, so why are we taking these other artists seriously? Well, we don't take them seriously, particularly in, in uh, Tory politics, art's never been taken seriously. And that used to be harmless because they kind of left the Arts Council alone and said, oh, get on with it, we're not interested in art. But now they actually, maybe the arts, which have suffered 40% cuts, which is more than any other sector, maybe they really are that naive that the Tories are actually punishing art because they can see, you know, the term... um, Bollinger Bolsheviks, you know, when they rallied behind Blair originally, and maybe suddenly the Tories, God help us, are taking the art seriously and thinking they're a target to be attacked. 
And there is generally, uh, that's Tory politics, but there is generally a wash uh, in the world, art world. A conservative tide is, is, is coming in. It, it's very interesting how much of the debate about all this art talks about skill, time. You know, de-skilling of the artist in the sense of them being in any sense specialist, but returning to that conservative um, uh, watchword, skill, mm. in terms of time, technique. All the labels said it would take him years to build this. And it takes me back to a ghastly show at the Tate many, many years ago called The Hard One Image. And again, the hard one image displaced all aesthetic examples and replaced them with an ethical argument that these people work hard, mm. that somehow they are morally therefore virtuous and the art was somehow worthwhile mm. as a result. This is Victorian. Mm. And I feel very much that what's going on here is uh, a return to some kind of um, who is deserving of our, our attention or the great curator's attention. And it's not these artists who can go off and make a lot of money, because this is a tabloid perception that artists well-known are all making loads of money, and they are therefore suspect. It's like the, the, the people are trying to tune into something they think is authentic about us outside art, and that somehow contemporary art is inauthentic. Mm. And, and if you make money, you can't possibly be authentic. And this is such a naive debate. I can't believe as international curators are falling mm. for it. As an example of authenticity, perhaps, uh, you, you do mention, I think, when you, in your piece, uh, that the Iraqi pavilion as a kind of alternative... You go through Jeremy Dello, which I, we must talk about <laughs> Jeremy Show a little bit, not, you know, because you're criticising it, and I think it's, yes. it's you know, valid criticism, yeah. but then also you come up with a positive kind of alternative, if I remember rightly, of the Iraqi pavilion. How, how would they... Because you've talked about them as being outsiders, but in a completely good way. Well, <laughs> no, I mean outsiders only in that they had no choice. Well, that's what I mean. They're outsiders because their country's in, in an appalling state. Yeah, which is a bad way, obviously. They, of course, and they would quite like to be insiders, I'm quite mm. sure. I'm not, I'm not holding them up as this perfect model because it's contingent anyway. If they get some success, mm -hmm. the works will no longer be courtesy of the artist and will belong in a museum and they will have all the success that artists... I mean, Yinka Shonabari once made this point on a panel I was at when everybody was attacking him for getting a, com a commercial gallery. And he said, listen, for me, that is actually a revolutionary step. I'm a black artist from Africa and I'm living here and I have a commercial dealer. You know, that didn't happen 20 years ago. Mm. And the idea that, that we're all on a level playing field and this is where it's all at is nonsense because we're all at different stages. What happens to the Iraqi artist next, I don't know. Um, but all I'm saying is that um, they were alternative not by choice mm. it, it, it's a nonsense to call them alternative I think, I think oh, choice sorry, is Daniela. difficult though because they're, they're selected by curators yes. I mean and if, if you believe that you're an artist whether or not you've gone to art school whether you've shown in any exhibitions and you're passionate about your work you would say yes to that surely of like, but, but it's the curator's job it is totally and I think criticality is a real issue yes. because you can't, you can't really look at work and assess it in the same way that you could with a professional artist precisely the point you absolutely that's what I'm trying to say that how can you mash cultures like this mm. um, you simply would not get away with it so are we suspending critical discourse yeah. 
Yes. Well, you end up psychologizing the work, or I did it certainly yes. when I saw The Outsider or The Universe Show. Mm. Uh, you end up sort of reading into the biographies, reading into their lives, you know, what, how they demonstrated, uh, you know, through these works, the, their sort of interior states. Um, and so you kind of see their sort of delusional states. Yeah. Ultimately, especially when they're building cities or, you know, drawing in extreme detail buildings, sizes, scales. You know, it's this sort of megalomania, mm. you know, that's endlessly unfolding and mm. endlessly reprised or re reinserted or remade. And it's this endless sense of postponing uh, a complete point. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's this obsessiveness towards an, a never ending complete vision that I think really ties both this show at Hayward and the yes. ideas of. Yeah. Well, what's interesting as well, to, is, from your lovely description there, the, the intention of the artist, well there isn't really an intention of the non-artist who's obsessed with something, whereas a professional artist, presumably, when you're looking at something that they've made, they do think about you coming to look at it later, and there's an intention to how they design it, so they are going to actually... You know, you don't go around exhibitions yeah. thinking and looking for the psychological mm -hmm. drawbacks of the maker normally, Unless they want you to do it. Ultimately, they allow a place for you in the work. Uh, yes. And in terms of the universe show, certainly you often feeling excluded. Yes. And the compromises you have to make as a viewer is you have to kind of really fit into their viewpoint. Mm. And it takes a lot of work to kind of piece together this obsessive, mm. you know, small, tiny, minor points that mm. they constantly reprise. And that amount of you know, energy it takes as a viewer to take in that work is, is a phenomenon, you know. It's too much. Also, you don't quite know what you're. What, what you're. Yeah. You're not. Well, you, you. How do you know what you're meant to get from the work? Exactly. This you know, is, there, you, there is no meant. Mm. This is where it starts <laughs> to get really dodgy. Mm. For instance, I mean, <laughs> Ritzley, who had this experience of seeing this naked child. Just having which show are we talking about uh, now? This is at the Hayward. Yeah. At the Hayward. Right. At, yes. at the Venice show yes. as well. Oh, is it? And no. at the Venice show. Oh, okay. This is the point. They cross over. Right. Um, A.G. Ritzley. Um, primal Glimpse, wrongly spelled, is the correct title. G-L-I-M-S-E. But it's Primal Glimpse of a girl uh, a child, yeah. naked, and female he's, child. He's, he's just turned 40. And he's just turned 40. He lives with his mother, doesn't he? And he lives with, he's never seen a naked child before. And when you read the actual a text... A naked female. Naked female yeah. child before. Um, and when you look at the text, he actually talks about an ensuing spell of throbbing ordeal. I mean, mm. we're talking about an erection and a drawing of a skyscraper. Yeah. Cliché after Mm. And the only reason it's in is because it wasn't actually of a penis, it was no, of a building, so it was a kind of metaphor, the, the, the that's okay then. The text that went along with that piece was just like, oh, so this is what happened yes. and this is his response to yes. it. It was like, how, could the, how can you ignore like, this like It was almost like a wink at the end. Yes. Like, you I didn't, know, also, I didn't of, understand what that had to do with the universe. Yes. I mean, other yeah. than the fact that he showed he had such a small one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> universe, that is. Yes, but, of course. <laughs> but also, when you think of an artist like this, and also William Scott comes to mind, mm. who um, was... was um, making these images of Praise Frisco, his his from whom the title comes. The, the title of the show comes from one of his works. Oh right, okay. Oh, I didn't the that. oh okay. Um, like you know, there's there's misspellings. There's yeah. these kind of you get the sense that these works weren't made to be seen by yes. a huge audience. Like yes. I mean, I know Rizzoli would show his. He'd have exhibitions in his living room and invite all the children round, and they were the only people that would come. But it's I don't know. There's like, like I don't know, like a, a level of care or like you know. 
work that's produced today is it's done so in conversation. You yeah. have curators, you have other artists. There's, there's it's like a response a pro- also a from one artist to another artist, so you <laughs> might make work in that's response right. to another one. Exactly, but there's there's always a consideration of how it's going yeah. to be seen and who might see it, and there's not with this work. Therefore, it's it's, it's really problematic to just and show Daniela, it as you is. Raise I think the gender imbalance. Mm. And I mean, there's only two women in the show yes. at the Hayward, yeah. right? And Twenty-three artists, two women. Right. And but then that raises another issue that I am utterly unqualified to discuss, and that's what I feel about the whole show. Actually, the Hay- this is the Hayward show. Hayward show. In fact, any of these kind of outsiders, I feel unqualified to discuss. Which is maybe there's a reason there's a gender imbalance. <laughs> you know, this is a, <laughs> this is a subject of Sasha Baron Cohen's man. brother's um, research about autism and male genetics. I don't know enough about it. But mm. it's like, you can't talk about it. We're, we are not qualified. We are not anthropologists. We are not mm. psychologists. I feel, if you did this in any other field, and, it, you know, if you tried to pass this off as science, you know, something like this, self, or you see how NASA really responded to some of these so-called physicists mm. sending their work to NASA and telling them you've got it all wrong, you know, in the real world... So what are we doing with this stuff? Okay, well, just just to bring in the folk thing because uh, we're, yes. well, obviously there's a slightly maybe a slightly different thing there, or it's not. So we've got the show coming up at the Tate Britain, where I believe in Armand we say something about how actually um, they're doing this show because uh, it's an area of work, folk art, folk objects, which is often ignored by curators. I think that's a quote. Art historians. Art historians. Is that a quote from like from the press release yes. of the Tate Britain? I thought so because I, I just actually quickly looked up on the V&A. Who have two hundred and fifty-six Toby jugs in yes. at the V&A? It's not ignored by no. historians. There are masses no. of folk objects in yes. circulation, and yeah. circulation, and bought by the collectors at the V&A for their collection permanent because yeah. they value it highly. So I don't quite understand that. And then we've got Jeremy Dello, and he's at the back to Venice again, and he's got a long history of being involved with um, uh, Alan Kane as well, doing yes. this folk uh, archive and stuff. W- what's he done? At, tell me what he's done at Venice. Is he linking? Is there folk art that Jeremy's brought into into his show at Venice? Chris, Chris give us a quick description of it. The, well, the, largely the work sort of centres around William Morris. So the first the first rooms you go into, there's uh, two attendants demonstrating various, uh, actually demonstrating. Uh, well, one's pulling back a curtain, showing you a William Morris print. Another is holding uh, a real one. Oh yes, uh, one's holding a hand axe and demonstrating the. The uh, you know the value and history of this that the axe itself and, and like an ancient yeah. axe and then on the wall which is illustrated in this month's copy actually is uh, an image of William Morris holding up um, uh, Abramovich's yacht Luna and throwing it into the uh, into the canal of Venice um, so these are the, these are the sort of the well one section to Della's show that then sort of falls into so wall mural and real found yes. objects of historic and the show, importance the show itself is actually moving to and the, craft the show itself is going to the William Morris. Uh, the whole uh, of Jeremy's yes, show, okay. The newly refurbished William Morris in Leytonstone, Walthamstow, and the images of the riots from Tottenham are actually painted onto the walls itself. So there is this resonance of these two sites, uh, William Morris being at this Tottenham Tottenham now, which where the, the riots were last year. Oh, I see what you're saying. I got you. Yes. Got you. Um, and then you can have a cup of tea. Um, Queue up for a cup of tea. Yes. Uh, there's a video with a steel band yeah. that he. So he's he's drawing on folk art, and showing real art, real craft by other people. And I'm just trying to get to the to the whether there is a link between what he showed when he was given, you know, he's representing the English 
Well, he's Pavilion. also got um, um, inmates of um, Her Majesty's prisons, most of them veterans from recent conflicts, including Iraq. Um, and they presumably he can, gave them a list of um, personnel involved with those wars, like Tony Blair, who's on our cover, who was drawn by one of the inmates, who is um, uh, drawn by Tony Blair, former Prime Minister of the UK, by Eddie HMP Everthorpe. We don't know what Eddie's second name is. No, perhaps he's not given a second name. Yes. Perhaps he didn't. Pretty may not want it. But, 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 but basically, Jeremy's not presenting work made by him in the obvious way. It sounds to me like a curated exhibition. Indeed. Mm. I mean, he sounds like a curator. He doesn't sound like an artist yeah. at all. In many ways, um, as I point out in the article, he anticipated this new shtick, mm. really. Um, he is, in some ways, you know, the uh, impresario, uh, the ringmaster, I described him as, the master of ceremonies, who brings all this together, but it's his kind of vision. And this is what, what I find politically problematical about all these, because whose is the power? Whose is the power? It's his. Mm. And it's exactly the same with Gioni. And that's why I feel politically at odds with these exhibitions, because the curator is given all kinds of power that if you work with artists, you've got to respond to them. They have queries. They have requirements. They are in dialogue with other artists. They might refuse you works. Somebody even said to me, maybe all these cabinets of curiosity-type shows are because insurance is so much less than having <laughs> to ensure major works of art. Perhaps this is austerity, but mm. if it is, it's very right-wing, and it troubles me deeply. Can you just say, we, can we say a bit more about that right-wing aspect? Because it, I mean, it is important, really, cause if, if, if it is actually... You know, there's always this thing in there where the culture does yes. reflect the yes. bubbling under more yes. serious things, in a way. Well, That's what my, I feel. For anyway. my point, it, it's exactly what Chris was saying, that you are excluded from this discourse because it is actually the sphere of specialists, psychologists and anthropologists, mm. that curators are simply mm. waltzing into without a care. I feel excluded from it. But also... There is, as Chris was also saying, there's no discussion. There's no discussion to be had. These works are um, uh, entire of themselves. You know, they are obsessive, compulsive. They're not made for an audience. And so I, I'm reduced to that of a gawper, the status mm. of a gawper. I am not engaged as an intelligent, sentient mm. human being with my own opinions. This is not a critical space I can enter. I thought art was about creating alternative critical spaces, not one where I simply turn up and add my numbers to the gate mm. and, and go through the end of the rooms none the wiser, except this kind of art always looks like this. Show me an outsider artist who has masses of space in their work that isn't crowded with a sense of horror vacui, fear mm. of empty spaces. But also with the, the Venice show, there was just so much work. Yes. And also the Hayward show, too. It was overwhelming. Mm. Yes. Like entire herbs of just... Yeah, lots of series. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. which makes it even harder to kind of get into something and to try and understand... You feel apart. Yeah, so you just, you kind of just... And then it just becomes a novelty and kind of curiosity. Like, oh, what's that thing I'm looking at rather yes. than looking at it critically? Because the whole point about the encyclopedists and the rationalists, I mean... There's much wrong with the Age of Reason, and we have lots of legacies of the Age of Reason we could do without, like the electric chair in America. But um, the idea that you can sanitise um, and institutionalise killing... Um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, um, 
But the the pioneers of, of the encyclopedias wanted that information to be in a form that people would have access to. That's the point. Mm. They did not want this knowledge to be arcane, a cabinet of curiosities in a private collection by a rich owner. They wanted this information out there because then the ideas would liberate people. He actually said that. It will change the way men think. Sounds like the original um, reason for starting the World Wide Web. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it does sound exactly the same. I'm not saying it's effectively become that necessarily. But we, but we know what's happened to the web. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's interesting. That's why I mentioned it. Incorporatized. You know, well, yeah, and, and, and when it's, that's when it gets really complicated, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, we've got, uh, I think we've got about three minutes and I'm going to wind up with a nice subscription <laughs> offer, but was there, Chris particularly, was there a pavilion in at Venice, so outside of the shows we've been discussing so far at Venice, was there a pavilion you really liked? I mean, yeah, there was several actually. I, I mean, because yeah, just, no, just to be positive, <laughs> just to be positive, in case you're thinking of going uh, to Venice, yeah, by the way, there's quite a nice few pavilions. Uh, the Slovenian pavilion, Jasmina Sibic was nice, uh, very good work. Uh, also, uh, we liked the Palestinian pavilion uh, with Egyptian artists mm. there. Um, and also uh, some of the I like the Swiss pavilion uh, or the Austrian pavilion sorry the Matthias Poledna that work was yes. also interesting uh, so there is a great so it's well worth going yeah. and, and, and uh, the, these even, are the even, even the curated show itself the encyclopedia there is a number of works that are, Within it. are fascinating and worth seeing yes, so certainly. take blinkers to that show yes. <laughs> and I mean, focus course, on the curatorial ones framework has its, problem, has its problems obviously as discussed but uh, the works, some, some mm. of the works do have resonances and are worth Definitely. seeing I'd also like to add to that list. Um, Please do, Diana. I really enjoyed the Irish Pavilion, Richard Moss's Enclave. Oh, and, right. Um, uh, Richard Moss used to work at Art Monthly, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, whoops. Good thing I said that. <laughs> you didn't know that, Diana, so that's <laughs> really nice. <laughs> and um, the, the Cyprus and Lithuania Pavilion also, particularly for the, the performance works. And Patricia, did you want to add one? Are you? Well, I was going to say, in recompense yeah. <laughs> to Geordi, there was a work in the international show um, which was Akram Zatari's film Letter to a Refusing Pilot, mm. one of the most moving videos I've ever seen. Okay. And beautifully made, I don't yeah. mean just moving, but it also aesthetically mm. Definitely. extraordinary. Okay. Well, yeah. there's, a, there's a hot tip to uh, mm. get you down to Venice. Um, well, thank you very much, all three of you, for coming into the studio. That's Patricia Bickers, editor of Art Monthly, Chris McCormack, assistant editor of Art Monthly. I think I've got that right way around, haven't I, Chris? Yes. And... Daniela Rose, I knew I'd do this, King. Forgive me, Daniela. It's because right. you're here for the first time. I'll get to know you better. Hopefully you'll come back again. Okay. And, guys, if you're listening, we would love to tell you to subscribe to Art Monthly. That's not an order, but it's a lovely request. It meant well. There's a great offer at the moment of £29 for a year, which really is very cheap. It's £2.90 a copy. I mean, you can't get an art magazine at that rate anywhere else, and we highly recommend it. Go to the website, www.artmonthly.co.uk, and there's a button on the homepage. You just click Buy, B-U-Y. Thank you ever so much and speak to you next time. Bye bye. Well done, everybody.